This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, a community of more than 40,000 fermentation aficionados. Now, until February 28th, enter to win the chance at a lifetime membership with the AHA. Upload a video telling them why you love to homebrew for their February video contest. Details at homebrewersassociation.org. Support for Brewed Up comes from Simi Valley Homebrew Shop. Simi Valley Homebrew Shop is located in Simi Valley, California, and is one of the only homebrew shops in the Ventura County. Open seven days a week, the shop is packed with everything you need to make your own beer, wine, cider, cheese, and more. Simi Valley Homebrew Shop also offers shipping nationwide. Visit SimiValleyHomebrew.com to browse all available items and to place a pickup order for all recipes and equipment. Thank you for tuning into Brewed Up, a podcast where two LA-based female homebrewers chat, laugh, and learn about craft beer, homebrewing, and whatever else comes to mind. Tyler and Lori both have brewed many styles of beer, cider, and meat and are always up for experimenting. This show is available to listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor.fm, HopDelay.com, and wherever else you'd like to listen. Now, here's the show. Hola, benvenidos. You are streaming Brewed Up. This episode is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine's top piece of homebrew gear of 2020. That's right, the Grainfather. The Grainfather, the original all in one brewing system. (laughs) (laughs) Nice whistle there. Mm -hmm. Um, So, some quick announcements before the main attraction. We wanted to thank you guys, our listeners, for hanging in there, subscribing, listening to older episodes, as well as our newer ones, posting, telling your friends. We edged in on 3,000 listens since starting this podcast less than a year ago, and we truly appreciate everyone's support, so thank you. And if you haven't already, follow us on Instagram, at Brewed Up Podcast. We have a ton of homebrew follies and successes brews, what have you. Also, if you don't already, please subscribe via your preferred podcast platform. And if you're up for it, leave us a review. It helps people find our podcast when they're searching. So please do so. Also, we want to hear your feedback. Um, Or you can slide into our DMs. We love hearing from you. So enough about us. Yeah. Enough about us. We have a real special treat for y'all. With us today is John Moorhead, the competition manager for the American Homebrews Association. And we are so excited. Mr. Moorhead, thank you and welcome. Thank you for having me. I definitely go by John. I don't think anyone's ever called me Mr. Moorhead at the office. I'm so glad you said that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So um, tell us, let's just get right into it. 
What is yeah. your background or your role at the AHA and the BA, and how did you become the competitions manager? Oh, that's a good question. I've asked myself that a few times. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I guess the background, I'll try not to be too long-winded, but I started homebrewing in college from my roommate, Chris. Um, showed me how to homebrew. I thought it was awesome. I was an English and history major, so didn't know really what to do. And uh, read some books, um, mostly Brooklyn Brewery and Dogfish Head, and they were both English majors. And I was like, oh, cool. I could take an English major and make beer. Um, <laughs> so I started a homebrew club at the University of Pittsburgh called Pitcraft Brew Club hmm. and um, had a lot of fun. It was probably the most fun thing I did in college. And uh, Gave uh, advertising, copywriting a quick stint after graduating, and then still kind of had an itch to get into beer. So then I moved to Colorado, try to work in the beer industry, and saw an internship at the Brewers Association for craftbeer.com. Hmm. Didn't get it. Was was told I came in second place, uh, but was encouraged to keep applying for a another internship for the American Homebrewers Association, which was then turned into a full-time position as an admin assistant in the middle of the interview process and uh, ended up getting the job and then helped Janice Gross, who was my predecessor um, for the National Homebrew Competition, running it, help with like operations and logistics and stuff. And then when she retired, Gary Glass, the director of the AJ at the time, was trusted me enough to take it over. And uh, yeah, that was four years ago. And since wow. then, I've yeah, really uh, tried to grow it and um, get involved with other competitions at the BA and expand, uh, expand new opportunities for the competition circuit via the AHA. So that's kind of what I do and as quickly as I could explain it. No, I love it. Yes. Yeah. First of all, shout out to Chris from college because yeah, without right. him, where would you be now? You know? Also, right. did, yeah. you, did you speak Pittsburghese when you went to the University of Pittsburgh? <laughs> yeah, actually I'm from there. So I, it's, a, it's definitely a language. I like how you clarify it as a language instead of just an accent. Cause, uh, most people can't understand it if you if you talk if you talk true Pittsburghese, like if you get in like a cab or you go to a baseball game or <laughs> football game, you're like, Where are you what? And at? Yins? I love it. Yeah. I was gonna say I went to Pittsburgh for a, a beer festival last year, right before and the yins thing was like, I was so mesmerized by it. I was like, I love this word. <laughs> yeah, it's such a catch-all. It's, it's great. It's, it's basically great. however you can, the laziest way you can speak is how you, is a good starting point on how to speak Pittsburghese. <laughs> nice. <laughs> were you at Fresh Fest, by the way? Is that where you're... Yes, yeah, yeah, I was at Fresh Fest. Fantastic festival. Did you go? I have been, yeah. Yeah, that was a good time. I miss yeah. it. I I know they did it digitally, digitally, but um, it was a really great festival to go in in person. Hopefully, we can get back to that yeah. sooner rather than later. Um, I hear ya. 
So uh, speaking of competitions, um, I guess, what are, what would you say to old like veteran homebrewers and new homebrewers? Like what are the actual benefits of entering to a comp? Like why would you recommend entering into a homebrew competition? Yeah. Good question. Um, because, you know, you can always get members of your club or your neighbors or your friends that you brew with to give you some feedback on the, the beer that you're making or meat or cider that you're making, uh, which is great. Uh, but this is an opportunity to get unbiased feedback from judge, trained judges, whether that be professional brewers or beer judge certification program, certified judges, um, Cicerone judges, sensory training judges, all the above really. To get that kind of feedback unbiasedly, they only have the liquid that you made in front of them. They have no idea where it came from except for the style and the ingredients. So you have that component, which is basically just someone being brutally honest about your beer. slightly unapologetic usually they're kind and we remind them to be kind about it but um you know and you're getting that evaluation from at least two judges instead of just one and so you have that component that kind of feedback and whether it's stylistic process or any of you know anything to do with the beer and that goes all the way through packaging and then on top of that you have the once you kind of hone that part in, you have the the competitive side that people some people like to do is, um, you know, once we graduate, at least for me, once you graduate college and start getting older, you, uh, you're you not playing competitive sports or anything. So you kind of want to, if you're a competitive person, you want to refocus that energy in a, you know, a less injury prone way. This is a great way to do that. <laughs> and um and it's like a fun camaraderie thing too, because you know a lot of people kind of recognize names and things of that nature. You can get involved in different circuits. Obviously, the National Humber Competition is kind of like this, you know, this high achievement um, thing to get, if, especially if you win an award. And uh, it really says that you are one of the best brewers among your peers, whether that be an amateur or professional brewer. Honestly, like. Some of the entries that come through the competition are are better than commercial beer. It's it's really incredible. So, um, really getting yourself stacked up against the style as a brewer, and then getting yourself stacked up against all of your peers are kind of the two different prongs for why you should enter a competition. I love that answer. I love that you. It makes so much sense. Like channel your competitive energy into something where you won't break a leg yeah Yeah. (laughs) have you ever do you enter competitions i mean i guess you can't really now or what's up i can i can i have entered some competitions um when i lived in colorado um i wouldn't say i'm I'm an award winning amazing brewer i've had good beers entered I've, i've made it you know a certain way down they've never placed but uh like my dark mild, for example, was it's kind of like the one I always like to make. And I was really close to placing one year, and um, I haven't entered, haven't entered a competition in over a year. And obviously, I can't enter any of the the competitions the BA or the AHA puts on. 
Um, but I re I've really come to love running them and putting in these processes and procedures that create a better experience, A, for the entrant, and B, for the judges, um, and then C, for the overall staff helping out with it. Um, it's just really fun to like get that granular with this thing that you otherwise would just be like, oh, that's a good beer. But now we're taking it and really like blowing it out and taking a microscope to it across a variety of different styles. And I've really, I never saw myself running competitions when I was like, I'm going to get involved in beer. You know, everyone gets involved in, everyone who wants to get involved in beer wants to start a brewery. And then you kind of, you know, some people go through with that and then others don't. And uh, I've, I've really felt like this is more of a calling for me um, to give back to the community and really help recognize how amazing homebrewers are at making beer. And um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I will say I'm not surprised that Home, some home brewers are making better beer than commercial breweries. I mean, no offense. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it's like, yeah, I mean, home brewers, you know, I'm not going to say like craft breweries have all the passion, but they also have a demand that they have to, you know, a demand, a supply chain, et cetera. And with home brewing, it's like you can take that passion and add it up with, you know, getting your hands on all kinds of crazy ingredients. And, you know, I, I think that's, that's great. And it was yeah. funny that you said, uh, no one gets, no one gets physically hurt, but I'm sure there's some bruised egos. I'm sure there's some bruised egos in the oh, NHC crowd. <laughs> I have definitely heard from some of those egos. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, you have so much control as a home brewer, right? Like you kind of the master of your own fate. Yeah. type of thing and uh you have so much flexibility and creativity at your whims versus you do whatever you want basically yeah yeah needing yeah you don't have to pay employees or pay a lease on a on a brewery or buy new equipment or something like that you know do you, you use kind of... an alias when you enter competitions <laughs> uh, I, I i do and so Ooh. i can't tell you i can't tell you on here <laughs> But I do, yeah. Okay, shush. That's an ex brewed up exclusive. One day, up. yeah. Shush. Yeah. Don't tell. Shush. He's not turning red, you guys. He's not turning red. red. It's the hair, really. It's not the face. <laughs> Can you describe to us, so you're mentioning how you have really come into enjoying running the, specifically the Nas National Homebrew Competition you know, managing that process. Can you describe to us um, what that process is? Like, what is the flow of the National Homebrew Competition? Like, how does that all work? Yeah, great question. It's like a nine, it's almost a year yearly process. Um, it really starts, you know, maybe a few weeks after the last one ends. And hmm. that's just to give a little bit of rest <laughs> to everyone who helped. Uh, so really, and this year is an exception for sure, but normally it starts out with working with the AHA governing committees, but there's a subcommittee within that. Um, it's called the competition subcommittee. So I work with the chair of that committee, Sandy Cockerham, 
who's been on the she's been the chair since I've been running the competition. She's awesome to work with. She were she used to be an officer with the BJCP, super knowledgeable judge and competition organizer, very familiar with the AHA as well. She's a grandmaster. Uh, Sandy, don't don't be mad if I get your rank wrong. It's like ten or twelve or something. It's something up, very, up, very, up. very high. I could only dream to be. And um, so I work with her to kind of set an agenda of what we want to do the following year, what we took from the previous year, and then work with the subcommittee on their input, and then take that and go to the governing committee, which is elected by the members of the AHA, and then work with and the years past usually work with first round organizers um, that would do the first round of the competition. Collect, you know, work through all the logistics and operational stuff, them building out a team to put on, you know, their area of the competition, which is usually 750 to 800 entries that they would judge over one weekend. And then from there, get all of those entries moving on and coordinate getting all of them to arrive in the final round location which is usually where homebrewcon is and then do the first the final round judging in one day which had gotten up to 1400 entries in a day wow and then quickly turning around those results and having a kick-ass award ceremony um, and celebrate all the accomplishments by those by those entrants, and then give out the really big awards, which are really fun to give out, like Homebrew Club of the Year, then Kazi winner, which really in my mind is like the real creme de la creme. That's like the person that's the person that wins the most medals via, via points in the entire competition. Huh. And you have the homebrewer, mead maker, and cider maker of the year, which are just like best of show entry. Um, but yeah, within all of that, there are like a million and one other things. And, uh, you know, making sure you're delivering on your promises to those entrants and judges and volunteers every step of the way is something I take pride in. And uh, definitely am humbled multiple times throughout that process. And then readjust it, but yeah, it's a it's definitely an undertaking for sure. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah. It starts at 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 regionals and then kind of goes up. Is that? Yeah, that was the traditional way. We're not doing it that way this year because we, which I'm happy to go in on. But normally it would be thirteen. Yeah, normally it was thirteen regions across the U.S. you know, with the situation that the entire globe is in mm-hmm. with uh, coronavirus. Um, we didn't think after talking through with staff, AHA staff, governing committee and subcommittee, we found that putting on 13 different events basically across 12 states was a huge risk. And after going through what we had to go through last year with canceling the competition the night before judging started, um, 
and then not being able to get entries back to entrance because the logistical nightmare of that and just having all these very extreme uh, precautions put in place about, you know, maybe not being able to get into the brewery or the, the location of the judging and then having to sift through all 2000 bottles at each site to find particular entries proved really hard, pretty much impossible. And then refunding everyone was like the, the most we could do financially and in our situation in Colorado. Um, and I didn't want to go through that again, because that sucked to like <laughs> send that email out to people and be like, yeah, so we have to cancel the competition and we have all your beer, mead and cider, and we don't have a logistical way to get it back to you as much as we'd and, like to. And we're turning it into hand sanitizer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was like the best we could do. And, um, you know, some sites kept, were able to keep the beer. It was kind of a site by site thing. It's such a, it was such a decentralized competition. Um, you know, like some sites were able to hold on to beer for four months and then judge it as best they could. Other sites had to get rid of it within two weeks because the brewery needed the space for other other things that were coming back to the brewery, whether it was kegs that were, you know, originally going out for retail that needed to be returned from the distributor um, or whatever it may have been, a bulk grain order, cans, whatever. Um, so it all was just like a case by case thing, which was really hard to communicate to people because it's like, they're like, well, in site A, they're judging beer, and in site B, you're turning it into hand sanitizer. Site C, you're just you have to just dump it because you don't even have time to get rid of it. So, with all of that happening, I was like, I can't emotionally go through that again. So let's find a solution that allows us to have it at one location with as many people entering as possible. And that's where we kind of got the idea from Great American Beer Festival competition to put it on in Colorado. So we'll be doing the judging over seven days, uh, 5,000 entries, um, over 40 categories, and have about 40 to 44 judges a day coming through there with like pretty stringent health and well-being protocol that GABF really worked out. They really did a lot of the work and they built the skeleton and we're just putting a different coat on it, so to speak. Ready to get hammered at that judging? No. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe if you're doing like barrel aged. I'm signing up for that one. Yeah. (laughs) So look, there's, I don't know. So I feel like we need to kind of get this out of the way. There are a lot of people that might need to hear this. There's really good homebrew. And then there's two style beer. How important is it to brewing to style when you're entering a competition? The short answer is extremely important. Thank you. Go ahead. The long answer is if you brew, say you brewed a, a, a Schwartz beer, 
and it comes out and it's maybe not as dark as you'd hope and it's not as roasty so you're reading through the style guideline and you're like damn this kind of misses the mark but then maybe you flip to like a munich hellas and you're like or like a dunkel maybe and you're like wow this actually is like pretty close to what the style descriptor says um so really like it's kind of like a two-phase thing it's like all right i'm setting out to brew this style and if it doesn't turn out you know to the style guideline that we're using you know i wouldn't just like say oh i can't submit this because the recipe i brewed was x and it doesn't fit x i would say look like really like evaluate the beer and like if it tastes like something else enter it as that there are like there are plenty of examples throughout the years of brewers brewing one style and entering it somewhere else and placing a medal in that category. Um, okay, so this that's is kind of fun. This is it, very too. controversial. I want to say because I wanted <laughs> this was my that was my follow up question was submitting as the style you intended right versus you know, submitting for the style it fits closer to, because I've heard, I've heard both sides, like, no, I'd rather, you know, enter it as the short spear and get notes as it being a short spear versus it being a dunkle. But like, if your main goal is to kind of enter what it best, like for what it best tastes like and try to win that, you know, I see where I see how both sides because I, I was having that uh, anxiety attack like a week ago because <laughs> I'm entering I'm entering a cream ale into uh, a, just a local competition out here. And I'm like, is this taste closer to like an American lager or should I enter it as a cream ale? And like, ah. so I think I'm going to just enter as a cream ale and then get yeah. notes on it as a cream ale. But I see how entering it as something that it tastes more like would, would make sense too. So I'm, I'm glad you kind of went into that naturally. I was curious. Yeah. I think, I think it depends on the competition too, right? Like with a local comp, I think that would be a good place to get that feedback. If you tried to brew a style and you missed it and you were, you were like, I want to submit it at the, as this anyway, to see where I went wrong and what the judges might suggest. I might be shooting myself in the foot here with what I'm about to say next, but with like with NHC, I would say just because it's such a higher barrier to entry as far as cost, I would, I would think you'd also want to be giving yourself a shot to see how well you did against other brewers and how far you could get in rounds moving past the first round into the second, third and fourth final round. So I think I think it really depends on the competition you're entering. Um, yeah. But like a local one, I would. It's such a good place to get that feedback if, um, if the cost to entry is is lower. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point. Like NHC is, you got to enter six bottles. It's pretty costly. You got to ship. There's a lot riding on your entry. So, yeah, I would definitely would make sense to just do what makes the most sense for whatever the beer comes out of. Yeah, it's not it's not cheap, but 
I think with the changes put in place, you know, there was something to be said about winning before, and that was you have to qualify basically in the first round, and then you would move on to the final round. And now that it's all taking place at one spot, if you win a medal, you are going up in parallel against every other entry in that category versus, you know, a 13th of that category, and then going up against the winners of all those 13 sites. So in a sense, it's almost, I mean, people are, (laughs) I've gotten emails saying, why are you making this change? It's harder to win a medal now. (laughs) And I'm like, like, yeah, it is harder, but I mean, it just, it will like really highlight you as a brewer if you win. And even like getting past that first round, because, you know, you have 300 entries and then we go to maybe 100 and I'm just spitballing numbers, but it's like 300 to 100 to like 30 to 12. And then that 12 is the final round. And then you pick first, second and third. But you got to get all the way through those first three rounds to get to that final round instead of getting through 50 entries to start and then getting to a mini best of show and advancing. So. It's kind of definitely you got to bring your A game and you got to be you got to be feeling good about what you're entering and not just being like, oh, I'll just throw this in there. Yeah, we've got a lot of hardcore competitioners in our homebrew club. So (laughs) I want to shout out to Jay and Izzy like they they are tough competitors like they're serious and they make really good beer. So they're definitely going to be entering i'm assuming i think they probably entered last year and they were crying about their beer becoming sanitizer yeah. but it is what it is you know yeah. <laughs> you guys did the best you could yeah we're moving <laughs> yeah I, I don't want to relive it it was so, unfortunate John, for sure do you think there's a category for every single beer um <laughs> long no <deep> no <laughs> And it, it's what can be unfortunate is like there are some catch-alls, so like okay. experimental fruit is a catch-all. Uh, fruit beer. I mean, there are some subcategories within fruit beer, but it can be difficult to figure out which one to enter it in based on the uh, instructions per subcategory. Um, I think one area that's lagging is gluten-free. There is no gluten-free category, at least in home brewing. Um, and that's something I've I've brought up before that we continue to look at. Um, I've talked with the the officers at Zero Tolerance Homebrew Club in the past, and they're very active in the gluten free brewing community. Um, and it seems to be a growing segment, at least commercially. Um, same with low alcohol, like really low alcohol like almost zero we actually like it's the sesh the seshies over here on brewed up yeah nice the <laughs> seshies <laughs> i mean lo- no alcohol is like that's an extreme session. Yeah, no, I think I, no no yeah well that's what he's talking about no alcohol oh i was yeah, like one percent and lower oh. i mean it's hard to get zero as a home brewer unless you want to be spending like thousands of dollars on equipment to make no alcohol <laughs> seems counterintuitive 
Just like, do the mash and then collect it and then put it in a bottle, call it a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no fermentation. None. Uh, but yeah, you know, they're, they're definitely every year we look at how we parse out subcategories into categories to make them at least even. So nothing is weighed more than others and kind of try to even out category counts. Um, we've talked a lot about meat and cider categories being broken out more uh, because of the vast variety within those two style, those two category, those blanking on what I should call them. Between meat and cider, you have different levels of sweetness and carbonation and strength. And there are some competitions that will break out all of those within each subcategory mm-hmm. of meat and cider. So that's something that we've talked about. We haven't, we're, we, we now have four meat cider, meat categories instead of three, which is lined up a little bit better with the BGCP, but mm. um, it's definitely another area that we've looked at on breaking out more categories and, the reason we were hesitant on doing that for so long is because adding more categories to what the old structure was of having that final round added the need for so many more judges to be able to do it in one day. And then if you start to bleed into another day of judging, you're adding all these extra expenses. This is the really fun part of competitions, the whole financial side of things but you know when we're at a convention center and we need to be running out more space and catering and all of that um, uh, adds up pretty quick wait i have so many questions but we wanted to like run have you run us through like like, like fake competition beer evaluation so we've all coordinated um <laughs> a beer go ahead at least the style right a style, my bad. Yes, because we're all in different locations. Yeah did you did you grab a Hellas, John? I did. Okay. Ooh, okay. Awesome. Ooh. I was like, <laughs> I was like, he might have gotten the dark mild, which I know you said was hard to find. I don't think really I've ever seen here. one. Really hard to find. Um, there's a there's an English pub brewery, or like a very traditional English brewery in a in Denver called Hogshead which has phenomenal beer Um, and it's all cask, but he has a bunch of like milds and ESBs and everything you'd find in an English pub. Sounds like you're digging the English beers. That's kind of a, that's like Lori's thing for sure. I mean, kind of both of us, I literally just brewed an ESB yesterday. I'm pretty Mm -hmm. stoked to, and then I think I, I told you over email that we had brewed a dark mild that was Lori's. Uh, recipe like last week so we're all about it yeah i just brew it all the time i don't know i like fell into the into brewing it too i was with my roommate in colorado and he actually helped take over the brew club in college and then moved out to colorado and lived with me and we were like the first beer we brewed together was a dark mild and then we just kept brewing it It's good to have on tap. Like it's, yeah. it, it's, it hits everywhere. I love it. Well, we got, so basically, I think it's like everyone's, my favorite, my second favorite, probably my favorite lager, a Munich Hellas. Yeah. Where's yours from? Lori? Oh. Oh, mine's from LA Aleworks. 
which is a co-op brewery here in Hawthorne. How about you, John? I have a Munich, I have the Munich Hellas from Wibby. It's a light shine Hellas. Ooh. Okay. And it's phenomenal. It's out of Colorado. I okay, so I wasn't sure if this I got two because I saw the Paul Laner. I feel like I'm totally butchering. Um original Munich lager. I was like, is this a Hellas? Where'd you is get this? that? From Bev Bev Measies. <laughs> it John, do you know if is this a is this a Hellas? Munich Hellas original yeah. Munich lager? Yeah. I I assumed it was. I mean it doesn't say Hellas, but I was yeah, like, Yeah, that's I know. like a traditional a traditional that's like a commercial like tra- a traditional commercial example. Heck yes. All right. So that's well, what pulled. I'm drinking. Good pull. <laughs> I'm gonna crack it open and then yeah, I guess we can you can start with uh like I guess how would a, a typical BJCP judge yeah drink this cerveza. Yeah, so um every judge is a little has a, has their own quirks. Um but usually first is you examine the bottle just to make sure, you know, it all looks good before you open it. You can maybe find a, a uh, troubling sign if uh, there's something gunk around the top or something like that. Not, you know, 99 out of 100 times, it's good to go, though. Um, and then after that, you open it and pour it out for you and your, your judge partner. And usually the first thing I do, because it's the first thing that you're sensing, is the is the what does it look like? Um, so you would look through the appearance. You know, is it? Usually I read through the style guideline before I start judging a style, just to make sure I have an idea and a refresher on what I want to be looking for, and then try to go through all of the different categories of the of the um, score sheet. And and then go back to the style guideline after I kind of get my initial thoughts down. So on appearance, I would I'd be like, all right, is this you know yellow to pale gold? Um, does it fall within that? Is it you know is it clear? Is it hazy? Is there cold haze? Um, pop haze? What's the head look like? Is it is it white? Is it creamy? Is it sticking around? Does it dissipate quickly? Are the bubbles small? Are they big? Are there both? So I'm putting all of that, it being as detailed as possible. And we and haven't then, even we haven't even taken a sip yet. I haven't even tasted oh it. So much info. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you know, you want to be giving as much as you can back to the brewer. That's and those categories and then, are like five points each or something like that. Like it is important. Yeah. They yeah, appearance so is matter. three. That looks matter. Um, aroma is twelve. Oh, flavor flavor is twenty. Um, mouthfeel is five, and then overall is ten. Hmm. Um, and I actually I go the order is aroma, appearance, flavor, mouthfeel, overall. Mm-hmm. But I go appearance, aroma, flavor, uh, mouthfeel. And then an overall section. So step one, make sure your beer looks cute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm looking at mine. You know, it's it is the color you you said pale gold or pale to gold. Yeah. Um, it's super duper clear. I mean. Yeah, that 
you can see my soul through this beer. Um, my I've head is like head right now. Nice. Same. I'm like I'm dying to take a sip of this. <laughs> um, I don't know yeah, how you guys so do I, it. So then you know I'll I usually swirl and I'll do a drive by and then a cover and smell aroma mm-hmm. and start out by I'll just write my initial thoughts down. So like if I did a beer, if I if I'm doing a manichellis, I would be hoping to find some sort of like grainy sweet malt. Um, try to distinguish what kind of hops were used. Usually they're going to be some type of ger- traditional German hop. So maybe like floral or spicy, um, maybe like Tet, Tettinger or um, one of those kind of more traditional German hops mm. that are really just more for balance, not so much driven hop character. Um, it's going to be a lager, so it's going to be pretty clean as far as aroma overall right like you're not being like blasted in the face with with all sorts of different malt and hop profile um maybe you'll get some dms i think it's i believe it's okay in the style and the aroma as long as it's really low and that's just going to be from pilsner malt um yeah so you know it just needs to be not have an off flavor and lagers are always, it's always uh, an off flavor. I always feel like is a little bit more prominent in a, in a, <laughs> in a lager like diacetyl or DMS. You can just like pick it up so quickly. Sulfur, same thing. Totally. Um, Lori, guess, Lori, what is yours? I'm curious to know the, the one from LA Works. What kind of aromas are you getting out of that one? It's got the Tetninger. Wait, say it again. Tetnanger. I would just, oh, Tetnanger. Yeah. Tetnanger, yeah. Usually I just do Tet, <laughs> just so yeah. I don't have to jumble it. I just say the, the T up. Just kidding. Yeah, I this just when you said that when you the distinction between like a, an aroma of an ale versus the aroma of a lager, like a lager is like more gentle, subtle, not gonna hit you over the head. It's pretty good. Yeah, and it's refreshing, right? Once you get, once we taste it, which we haven't even got there yet. Yeah. It's a crispy so, boy. Yeah. yeah. So no, then you work. 100%. I've just decided. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, say that again, Laurie? John's a crispy boy. He's here with us. Was yes, a crispy, crispy. crispy. Yeah. Um, the flavor, you're probably going to get similar flavor that you get on Aroma. Um, so you're going to get that kind of grainy sweet flavor it's gonna be a little bit more malt you're gonna have and usually i get you know i get like some hop bitterness from it but pretty low overall um dry finish as well um and then you're gonna pick up on the the spicy floral hop flavor that you were smelling and you're going to taste it um what else what else are you guys picking up on the the beer you're you're drinking i like that the aftertaste is clean like it's not um it's not sweet um 
but I wouldn't say it's like super dry. It's just absolutely not sweet, which I, which I like. Yeah. Yeah. I will say I tried, I did try my hand at a Hellas like probably a year ago with a friend of mine and it's such a hard style to nail because it's like, I think ours, it was maybe under attenuated, but it definitely didn't come out as, as dry as I was hoping. And it was malty, but there, I think it was, there was a, it was a little bit too much residual sweetness lingering around and it just was a little too aggressive. I don't know what happened, but it was good. It was a good attempt. I really want to try it again, but I mean, it's, it's a hard style. I, I know it is. Yeah. And when it's done right, it tastes phenomenal. And you can just yeah. have so many of them. <laughs> um, John's yes. over here crushing Hellas. Crushing Hellas. Every time I dip <laughs> off screen, chugging one. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely more malt driven than hop driven. Um, and you mm-hmm. got like a pretty, it's just, you're getting a lot richer malt character than you would in a regular. Um, pilsner or a lighter lager for example just basically i've always viewed a munich hellas to just be like a lighter lager but then adding a bunch more kind of like just more um intense malt character and then you're kind of up the alcohol flavor as well with it being around like five percent instead of four percent so tastes a little sweeter and then like you know you got a little bit more body in there as well so you know um and a little bit more carbonation um yeah it's so good it has like the best of everything in my view so this is a great um thank you for walking us through that i would you recommend that people who are submitting them their beers do this exact process with their beers before they submit it. Yeah. And you really want to be looking at in the style guidelines, they will say things like moderate to moderately low. And that's where you really want to be like focusing on while you're evaluating your beer. If you're tasting your beer and the roastiness is supposed to be low and it's moderate, you're going to get docked for that. Um, and you got to be, try to be honest with yourself. So it's always nice to get someone else's opinion while you're going through it. It can take, it can take time to figure out what category you want to put it in. It's tough. I mean, my personal abilities and capabilities to evaluate beer still need a lot of work. Um, but you know, it's, it sounds like it's something that you just practice, you know, practice makes perfect. And, um, yeah, that's kind of the way <laughs> you just got to keep doing it over and over. Yeah. It's ongoing. I mean, I'm nowhere near as good as I would want to be. And, but I'm a lot further along than I was. And you know, there's always someone that you can learn from and that's what judging really just going and judging a competition can help you learn so much. Um, because you, you can get paired up with a really great judge. They're going to teach you all sorts of um, things on how they walk through beer. You can always learn something from your judge partner usually. And then you're getting practice on actually evaluating a beer to a style. Um, yeah. Have you guys 
judged a bunch? I've judged once. Nice. And just like you said, I learned, I learned so much. Well, for I stu, I've stewed a couple competitions, and then I was told, "We need judges. Can you please just judge?" And I was like, "But I'm not." And he's like, "We really don't care." So, and that that process was really great. Shout out to the, I think his name was Matt from the from the Falcons. Thank you, Matt. He was nice. really cool. Slowed it down, and we we went through it all. It was like, you know, I I didn't feel like I was um you know, put, putting anyone out. I felt like, uh, at that task, you know, judging a competition and being a new judge was like, he was very generous with information and it, you know, that camaraderie that comes with like homebrew clubs and meeting other homebrewer kind of came out in that experience. It was like, like, this is how I do it. And this is, it was really great. It was a really nice experience by the way. So thank you to the Falcons for that. Yeah. Really cool. And I wanted to ask, um, because I've entered a few competitions, and so it's like more like accessing uh, information on on Google. For a little while, there was a lot of straddle between the 2008 and the 2015 guidelines, and I was I'm always so curious when I'm reading the two or reading through the because I am studying to take the test. But reading through those guidelines and then reading at the revised one, like how does that process work out? And by the way, I'm so impressed with like the revisions that were made for 2015 seems more succinct and makes more sense. Like how does that process work to create the guidelines, to revise the guidelines? It's a really long, <laughs> grueling process, honestly. It's kind of a, I wasn't directly part of it, but I knew, I know a bunch of people who were a part of it. Um, Sandy Cochran was part of it. Bruce Berger, who has been my final round judge coordinator for the last five years. Um, he's the education director for the BJCP. Um, obviously Gordon Strong. Um, Don Blake, who lives in Colorado, I've talked to him about it before. Um, really, they, it's kind of, you're kind of going through and really like, instead of judging to the guideline, you're almost reversing it and you're pulling those commercial examples and, and then reading the guideline and being like, does this actually match what we want to be training judges using this style guideline and uh it's a really detailed process that takes a long time to do and um i have not had to go through that with the bjcp and i know on the brewers association side we release a guideline every year and it's a pretty intense process of certain um members on staff you know, it used to be Charlie, Papazian, Paul Gatza, and Chris Swerzy. And now it's Paul Gatza, Chris Swerzy, and a few others. But really, they, they go through and they make sure that the guidelines are matching up with the styles that are coming out. So either adjusting styles on how they've, you know, how they're commercially being brewed. 
and then also identifying new styles, right? Like hazy IPA wasn't a thing at one point in time that was like considered against any style. And then it started picking up on the commercial side and consumers started loving it. And so we, you know, adjusted to accommodate that new emerging style and what we thought it should fall within, within the different areas of evaluation and what still makes it a quality beer in the simplest sense of what quality is. So it's actually a pretty complex thing that I don't have like a nice cookie cutter answer for, but you can imagine going through and creating something like that. It's, it's very labor intensive. It starts with the market at the Brewers Association level, kind of starts with the market. Yeah, well, kind of both. I mean, they want to make sure they're looking at the marketplace to know what's going on out there and what breweries are creating. Um, at the same time, keeping that quality in mind and then also keeping traditional ways of what that style has done over the years. Got it. And then adjusting how, you know, there's great discussion between, you know, how much they want to pivot one way or the other. It's it's so crazy to me, like how wine drinkers or, you know, just like other hot like coffee could like put their noses up to beer. It's like it's just as complex and crazy. There's there's a whole world, you know, dedicated to beer styles and judging it and tasting it. And I don't know. I, I think I think beer just I don't know why it has a better rep, but we need to educate these people, man. <laughs> yeah. And they're more ingredients, too. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's just a naturally more complex beverage. Than, just as much um, snobbery, for sure. <laughs> I mean, go to Belgium. They they uh, they take it very seriously. <laughs> they're right. like the brewmasters over there are rock stars. They they're highly you know, they're murals in the airport of the brewing really? process. And yeah, and just beer is served everywhere and they highlight their beer culture more so than any other place I've been. That's awesome. Ooh. It's really Remember- cool. A brewed up from Belgium coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> it's like statues of brewers over here. We have like cans of fruit slushies just exploding in people. <laughs> yeah. It's such a such an opposite. Like but it's, I'm just LA IPA beer culture. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. We love LA. Shout out to yeah. Hopped LA, who's the champion of all LA breweries. Uh, He's the best. Um, <laughs> uh, so we're gonna get into like a couple fun questions, but I did want to wrap up the like competition portion with just like what are like some quick tips you have for anybody who's new that's wanting to submit beer to, you know, NHC or just competitions in general? Yeah. Quick hit would be, it's going to make you a better brewer. Um, don't take it anything personally. Um, reach out to the judges with questions. If you have them, their contact information is on the score sheet, which keeps everyone honest, which is great. And, um, you know, if you, if you don't like the result that you get, take the feedback and try again. 
Wait, they put their contact info? That's kind of scary. They do. Put their email, yeah. I actually had a judge once ask for my recipe, and I was like, oh. Oh, oh yeah, cool. we yeah, that's that's a compliment for sure. That's I mean, high I praise. Got, I only got like a thirty-three or something, but still, they liked it. Thirty-three is high. It didn't fit, but whatever, it was fine. The next thing you know, it's going to be brewed at some like commercial brewery. That like, no, oh, that's right. why they. <laughs> so fun stuff, John. Yeah. Do you still brew or like I homebrew? Do. Like what? Uh, do you have anything in your fermenter right now? Do you have any like plans to uh, brew soon? Air, <laughs> air is in my fermenter. It's uh, so sad. I was just talking with the guy who, uh, my roommate, who I mentioned we started doing the dark mild. Josh and he, he was like, yeah, I just uh, what did he just brew? An Irish stout. Mm. And he was like, when did you last brew? I was like, oh, it's actually been a while. And that's just because I've been trying to move up here. But I do brew. Usually I brew like eight to ten times a year um, on my all-grain system. Five Tell gallons. Me. Yeah, give us some details on that, sis. Come yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, have a – so I have like my old-school version, which is a, a cooler that I mash in, and then I filter it out. Classic. And then I also have a uh, robo-brew as well that I brew in that I'm actually really impressed with the brew in the bag technology. I didn't really know much about it. And then I started brewing on this robo brew and it just kind of keeps everything tight and together, but it's still, still have creativity control over everything. Um, yeah. And I'm going to be hopefully putting in like a really, badass brew setup in my backyard here um once i finally get settled in in idaho um you probably nice. won't be brewing in the winter if you're doing an outdoor. Uh, yeah idaho. i mean i, I want to be running electricity out there like i, I have been <laughs> dreaming about building this type of thing for years and i never did it in boulder and now i want to do it and make it a thing and get some electricity out there, a heater, running water, taps. Make it happen, everything. John. Yeah. Make it happen. So next time I come on here, I'm just going to be doing the podcast in my brewery out there. Yes. Ooh, yes. I love that. We're well, down. We should we're down. probably wrap up. Before we do, we want to look to you because you are an expert in the field. You're a sage. What do you think? Nicest thing been said to me all year. <laughs> You're a sage. What do you think is like going to be the homebrew 2020, 2019 Kavike? Kavike up everywhere, all in our, our business. What do you think is the 2021 homebrew trend? Great question. You know, the man. Um, honestly, Mikey Kavike, but I, that's a boring answer. Um, most homebrew trends these days are kind of boring. So no. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, uh, I think, you know, one area that a lot of homebrewers are exploring are kind of these like older historical styles. Mm -hmm. So like Kavike is one of them. 
but then uh, you have other styles like Egyptian styles and um, other ones that were kind of just like forgotten. And I think a lot of homebrewers are rediscovering them through either books being written um, like um, Lars's book. He did a homebrew con seminar last year at about uh, oven beers. Yeah, he did. Um, Good stuff. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. And then this whole that whole seminar on the traditional IPA and like recreating that, I I I feel like that's kind of like this new area that people want to explore because, and I think it'd be really cool to explore. Um, so I don't know what that. I mean, I don't want to say just oh, it's going to be historical beers, but it's such a wide variety that could come out of that. Um, as far as NHC trends go, honestly, like loggers are growing in popularity in okay. the entry count, like pale European loggers. Um, so really interested to see if that continues to grow moving forward. So I'm trying to. What's the style that is most entered? Is it IPA? So it used to be IPA. And now it is spiced beer is up there. Whoa. Okay. I know. Por qué? Surprising. I, I don't know. Huh. That is. Por qué? No, I really is like. <laughs> That's. Is it like what a range? Interesting. Huh. Right. Um, and IPA is still up there. It's still a heavy hitter. Um, trying to remember the other styles that were high ranking that is so shocking i have it written down somewhere you Um, mentioned um like gf beers are people entering that in experimental or yeah i think it would be a lot bigger if we actually just create the pro the the hard part is if we just create a gf beer then it's just kind of a best of show within that yeah yeah any style GF almost now. Um, yeah, specialty IPA is a big one. Um, and honestly, half of the entries in that are were New England IPAs or hazy IPAs. So we actually split New England IPA off this year, which ended up being half of the entry count. Um, so many so haze boys. Big haze bombs. <laughs> and um oh man i'm trying to think of like in like experiencing judging like a thousand hazy ipas oh my god you know you can't taste anything after (laughs) i was gonna say you're so wrecked so much lactose is just running through your system you're like i can't sit here anymore yeah uh strong belgian beer is usually high up there and count as well. Okay. Mm. Um, and then British stouts are always up there too. That so makes sense. Yeah. But yeah. The spice beer one, I like, I haven't figured out why. And I, I guess people just, you know, they want to get crazy and fun with the, with beer they're making. And one way to do that is by adding a bunch of spices or, Maybe like one or two spices 
Spice it up. Wait, so not even just are people entering um a gr- groots into that category or just Yeah, so that would yeah, so that would fall in like the spice herb and vegetable and then you have the autumn and winter seasonals. Got it. And out of the three, the spice herb veg is obviously the biggest catch all because it's like the moment you add a spice and herb or a vegetable into the beer, it's supposed to go into that category. Huh. So that's probably why. So like you add any sort of pepper, like a hot pepper mm. goes into that category. Um, and maybe that's one reason why it's such a such a large, large category to deal yeah. with. I mean, John, we're going to have to have you on again because me and Lori both have at least 1,000 more questions. Oh, we but just added a whole extra page. <laughs> <laughs> but we should probably, for our listeners' sake, wrap it up. Um, yeah. This was a fantastic interview. And yeah, we'll, we definitely want to have you on again. And Happy like, to come on. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Thank you, Megan and Lori, for coordinating. Yeah. And uh, so... NHC registration opens February 17th, correct? Correct. So 10, 10 o'clock mountain time. And so there's a limit. Is there a limited entry number? So you can, we're going to, I believe it's going to be five entries. Or no, I mean like total oh, entries, total. like for the comp. Yeah. 5,000 is what we're aiming for Um, Uh, if we get a lot more interest than that then we will accommodate and adjust okay i I, yeah it's really hard to say how many we'll get because we've never done it this way and remind us what you say five bottles yeah i mean ideally six for 12 ounce bottles but um yowza you know you could do i'm gonna again shoot myself on the foot here you could do four but you're just putting yourself at a disadvantage um, if you do indeed advance into those later rounds or place first place. And then we won't have any beer to pour for the best of show round. So I see. Yeah. It's uh, I know it's precious and it's, you put a lot of effort into it and we'll take care of the beer that you send in and do it justice. And uh, we want to give the entrant the best best shot at winning so like to use fresh beer for each round well john it sounds like you and your team are doing a fantastic job putting this on during a pandemic um and so we thank you and i don't know you'll probably see some socal cerveceros entries this year just saying so we're rooting for them for sure (laughs) Um, I'm removing myself from that. (laughs) Just vote for them. Just vote for them. (laughs) Um, John, do you have any last words, Lori, before we close out? John, you are Thank you for for coming. We appreciate it. This is great. I, uh, you guys have an awesome, awesome show here and everything that you're doing. Uh, you're in an awesome beer, beer place. And, Thanks for all the, all the support and shout out to our AHA members and all those homebrewers out there. Oh, all right. Thanks, John. We appreciate it. Yeah. 
Bye bye, everyone. Until next time. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Podcast and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. Brewed Up is a Hop LA production. The Brewed Up music is produced by LA legend producer Elusive.